Welcome to the Fantasy Land Basketball Podcast. My name is Mark Shorten, and before I kick things off, I first want to say thank you for joining me on the first ever show. It is something I'm pretty excited to be doing, and hopefully you guys enjoy listening to it along the way. A little introduction about me. I have been following and playing fantasy basketball for close to a decade now, and have become more and more obsessed each year that goes on. I suppose as with all fantasy pundits, it started with the love of the game, both watching and playing, and that evolved into the fantasy aspect. If, like me, you're already eyeing off next season's draft and looking at strategies, rankings, sleepers, and busts, then hopefully I can share a couple of prospects that I find along the way, and that'll help for you to win your draft and the money that goes along with that. As the weeks progress, I'll delve into the recent Orlando bubble, some playoff action, team news, analysis, and head into next season's draft. I suppose if you're listening to this podcast when there is no fantasy on, then you are clearly a very switched-on individual and very keen to take your fantasy game to the next level. So if you've got any questions, please send them across to fantasylandbasketball at gmail.com as I'll be opening up the mailbox over the next couple of weeks. Now that the quick introduction is done, let's get on with the show. Welcome back to the Fantasy Land Basketball Podcast. Again, I'm your host, Mark Short, and I wanted to talk about the fantasy season we just had, including five players who I absolutely love and five players who were underwhelming and, frankly, pretty disappointing. The first player I wanted to talk about was Jason Tatum. Obviously, he falls into the, the loved category. He's a star. He's going to be a superstar of the league and is already showing what he can do as the focal point in Boston's offense. His stat line of 24.7 rebounds and three assists. Uh, obviously solid, but what I saw as his biggest improvement was his consistent three-point shot. To start the season, wasn't as consistent, 36% from beyond the arc, but after the All-Star break, he really turned things around and was firing them at a rate of about 46% from, from downtown. If the season didn't get postponed due to COVID, then I really think that we could have seen him take that next jump, and we are seeing that in the Orlando bubble and now the playoffs. As Boston's star player, I I, I do think he's only going to get better. Um, he has got a good supporting cast. Gordon Haywood, who I don't think is going to, to get much better than what he played this year. Jalen Brown, who I do think will get better, and Ken Walker, who I won't be touched because he just cannot stay healthy, which is why I think from a ranking point of view, I think he's going to vastly outperform where you're going to take him next year. He's got a lot of solid, solid players around him, people who you, your average Joe will think that they will take touches, but they will not. He is the star of the show in Boston, and you'll be able to get him at about a 30-35 mark because of the doubts around the situation and because he's not a household name yet. But I do think that this will be the last year that you'll get him there. Where he's going to finish the season, I think the sky's the limit. He will comfortably finish in the top 15. He should finish in the top 10. And if everything falls his way, there's no reason why he can't finish in the top five. I I think he's that good. And I'll be taking Jason Tatum in every single draft, wherever I can get him. The next player I want to talk about is Bam Adebayo. 
So for me, Bam is the most improved player in the NBA this year. Uh, he's certainly one of the most exciting. And his ADP of nearly 60 is obviously a bit ridiculous now in hindsight. He's completely outperformed that. And I think that everyone's expectations were high, but not as high as what he's performed. Nine points to 16, amazing. Seven boards to 10, really solid. But I think the biggest change has come from his assist, which has gone from two to five. Obviously, that is huge for a centre, and it shows the way the game is moving and the game is evolving. And that's why somebody like like the Joker, like Jokic, has been a, a staple of consistency and a staple of of performance in and around about the top 10 mark, top 5 mark in most fantasy drafts. But for me, the most telling factor that Bam's going to grow on this next year is the faith that Miami has in him. Bringing the ball up the court, being used as a facilitator at the top of the key, and the way that Miami have built their roster around Bam and Jimmy is telling. There's, They're probably the only two people on that roster who can't shoot a consistent three-pointer, not that I'd tell Jimmy that, but the fact that they're built around them with Crowder, with Duncan Robinson, with Tyler Hero, it just shows that Bam and Jimmy are the players that they want to move forward with. The only downside, I would say, is his free throw on turnovers. I, I do expect that the turnovers are going to fall away as he matures as a basketballer and the more that he plays with his teammates. It's, it is normal to see a, a younger ball handler turn the ball over quite a bit. You see it quite a lot with Luka, you see it quite a bit with Trey, and obviously you see quite a bit with Bam, which if you're playing nine category leagues is a deterrent. If you're playing eight category leagues, obviously not a deterrent. And if I'm playing eight categories and I'm and I'm picking it around about the – the 10 mark, 10, 11, 12 mark, I'm probably looking to get banned and I'm probably looking to, to package that up with a shooter. The other one I mentioned is free throws. Um, I do think that we're going to see a big big uptick next year. Um, you see a lot of his mid-range jumpers look clean. Like He's got the right shooting stroke. So he just needs to take that one step back. Maybe he's got a bit of the yips. Maybe he's got a little fatigue, but... I think that his free throws will increase and I think that we'll more likely see them at about the 77-78% mark, similar sort of volume, but it takes him from hurting your free throws to breaking even on your free throws, which from a center is all you can really ask for. Third player on my list of loves is Fred Van Vliet. Now, I, I had a lot of shares of him and I did think he was going to be good, but at a ADP of 120, I saw him probably finishing the year about the 80 mark. I didn't see him finishing the year about the 40 mark. That was a very nice surprise for me, given I had so many shares of him. But he's filled the Kawhi shape void really nicely. He he's a gritty defender. It fits in perfectly next to Kyle Lowry. He distributes the ball well. He hustles hard on defense. He's one point nine steals that he had for the year is a definite game changer on a team and I think that if he didn't get injured towards the end of the regular season or the hiatus 
then I think he could have finished higher than the 40 mark. He's, it, it was purely an opportunity thing for Fred. Yes, he played well in the second year last year, but an increase by a third in his minutes is what he needed to get himself rolling and get a more consistent game. The only thing that I will caveat that with is his field goal percentage. There were certainly games where he would be lights out, go for go for six threes, go with seventy percent shooting, like most guards do. But there is also the the flaw when it comes to that. So his flaw when it came to his field goal was low. It was thirty five percent, which hurts. Which if you have a team of guards around that, and you don't have somebody like a band, for example, to lift your field goal, then that can be pretty detrimental to your team. Not to the point where it's Devontae Graham-like. That was probably the worst in the league, but it still wasn't great. But moving into next season, if he's sitting there at the 40 mark, if he's sitting there at the 50 mark, even better, I will be absolutely taking Fred Van Vliet. I think that Toronto are going to change their style of play. They're going to run faster. They're going to probably offload somebody like a Marcus Sol because Chris Boucher is, is looking pretty good and he, he's, he's bouncy, he's quick, and he can stretch the floor really well. And I think that they're going to move towards a faster lineup, which is perfectly suited to Fred Manvley's game. The next one on my love list is somebody who I didn't see coming in. To be honest, I thought that in the situation that he's in, there was going to be a bit of a regression. But the player I'm talking about is Brandon Ingram. So as talented as he is, he didn't have a three-point shot and he purely just could not stay healthy, which is why I kept clear in hindsight is a bit silly. An ADP of 70 was a steal. Um, He was going at 24 points, 46% shooting, six boards, four assists, which is eerily similar to Jason Tatum's year when you look at the numbers, but do I trust him as much as Jason Tatum? Absolutely not. There is a lot of weapons around him that will take away usage. Tatum is the complete focal point. He doesn't have players who need the ball in their hands to be effective. He's got some spot shooters there, whereas Ingram, he's got players that are going to take usage off him. He had a 27.5% usage rate this year, and I don't see that being sustainable. I see Zion taking numbers from that, which he will because that 27.5 is pretty much an entire year without Zion. He's got Lonzo Ball to contest with. He's got Drew Holiday to contest with. Plus, you've got a bunch of young guards there as well. You've got... Nikhil Alexander-Walker, you've got Josh Hart in the in the three slots to contend with. You've got Jackson Hayes. I just I don't see Brandon Ingram getting enough of the basketball to make the same changes that he did this year. He may be able to replicate, but I would be surprised. I don't see it happening, and I absolutely see him regressing probably to where he was last year, unfortunately. The last player on my five love list is Devontae Graham. I don't think he went drafted in any of my 
any of the leagues that I was in, and I certainly didn't have any shares of him. His explosion completely caught me off guard. And to be perfectly honest, whenever I did see it, I didn't think it was sustainable. I thought it was the the waiver-type player who catches fire for a week, who gets hot for a week, and then just kind of falls back into oblivion, maybe catches fire in another month. But I just didn't see it happening. When Terry Rogier went to Charlotte, I thought his usage rate would be Westbrook-like and that no other guard in that team would get a look in. But obviously, I was completely wrong. His 18 points a game and 7.5 assists were fantastic. Next year, do I think that he's going to be able to replicate that? I probably don't. Um, unless he gets stronger driving to the basket, I think that, that teams are going to play for him. And I think that there's going to be adjustments made to guarding him and it could merely just be going over the screen instead of under. Uh, he had 10 shots from deep for the year, only made three a game. And I think if you can nullify that and put a bit of pressure on his shot, then I don't see him going anywhere near his 18 points. I think that he his assists will probably be up there, but I see it being more of a 13, 14 points a game than five assists, which solid, but I don't see a repeat for Devontae Graham next year. Now on to the bust players, players who I normally would have said I had high hopes for, but they were disappointing. Um, to be honest, there, there were a few uh, honourable mentions in this category, include uh, Dre, Mr. Triple Single himself, Cat uh, because of his injuries, Miles Turner, who I absolutely love as a fantasy player but this year he was not good with the emergence of Sabonis and obviously Steph during Dream. Obviously some of those were unlucky but the other ones I do want to talk about are you never again type players. Players who you thought were a steal but ended up hurting you all year long. If it's because you held on to them or if it's because you dropped them and you just couldn't recover. But the first one in that category is Mike Conley. So when Conley signed for the Jazz in the offseason, there was plenty of talk about him taking them to the next level. Obviously, he was pretty much going to be the better version of Rubio. Could dish, really smart with the ball, really turned it over, had an inside shot, had an outside shot, could defend um, that little that little teardrop that he's got there, that floater. Absolutely lovely. And he's a solid vet coming off a season where he had 29 points, he had six assists, he had 1.3 steals, and overall solid percentages. Arguably, he was in career best form. But although he was moving to a team that loves the pick and roll and that there were plenty of other scorers to take the heat off him, he just wasn't a good fit for Conley. I don't know, he just couldn't gel with Gobert and couldn't really get anything going. It was... Kind of rotated from the starting lineup to the bench, back again, rested for a few games, low minutes, high minutes. But overall, it was it was poor. The 29 minutes per game, 4.4 assists, 0.8 steals, shot 40% from the field. For someone who's been in the, in the league for over 10 seasons, they were very, very close to career lows. And it all added up to a season to forget for Conley. I will say that he has turned it around in the bubble. Um, so if that form does continue, his ADP will be very interesting next year. 
uh, has the potential to be both a steal and a bust. And by that, I mean in some leagues you may get him at around about 100, which I would consider an absolute steal based on based on this. But also there are people who might take him early and he could bust. But, yeah, that's that's my calling. Next one is Larry Markkinen. He was already on my never draft list, but he's absolutely there now. So I don't I don't really know where to start here. His his ADP of sixty six was reasonably priced if he was to mirror his stats from the year before, but he didn't even get close. His usage rate dropped by three point five percent. His total shots dropped by four. His points per game also dropped by four, and his rebounds dropped by three. The only saving grace that he did have were his his three points taken and makes almost remain the exact same. But the the scary thing about all of those drops is, yes, he was injured, but that is all without a healthy Wendell Carter Jr., someone who should theoretically be taking possessions off him. And next year, the Bulls will have a new coach. They'll have a healthy core of Carter Jr., Zach Levine, Kobe White, Otto Porter Jr. And if the usage rate dropped this year, I highly, highly doubt next year it's going to raise. Maybe for some games, maybe if he catches fire, but I don't see it increasing to what it is right now, nor do I see it staying at what it is right now. Next year, I I do think that it's going to be a bit of a turning point in how we view Larry Markin. He has always had the potential to be the next Kevin Love, someone who can get solid boards and can drop a three-pointer, or it could turn into be the uh, the harsh, but the the poor man's Kevin Love in in an Ersan Ilyasova. Otto Porter Jr. He was already on my never never draft list. I uh, as I was as I was writing this up, I didn't realize that I had a, a couple of balls on there, but it probably goes to goes without saying that they had a horrible year. But Otto Porter Jr. As I said, already on my never draft list, and that's not going to be changing. It's a it's a shame because if you're listening to to this podcast, you will you will learn that I love my defensive players. Anybody who can get me one and a half steals, half a block a game is that's somebody that I'm interested in because those stats are tough to come by, especially if they can get you mid ten points, a couple of threes a game, solid percentages, which Otto Porter should be able to do. But what I do feel passionately about is drafting players with a lower injury risk. So players who haven't been injured previously, who are traditionally games played studs because that's kind of the cornerstone of having a strong fantasy team. If you are drafting somebody and it's a four-game week and you're only getting them for two or three games, there's no point in having them. And Otto does not help you in that area. You only play 14 games this year. Obviously, it was a shorter season, but still, 14 games is nothing. And 56 last year. It's just not, doesn't cut the mustard for me. And there's no way I will be spending a sixth or seventh round pick on Otto Porter Jr. There's just too much value to be had in other players, um, which I'll get on to in later drafts. But Christian Wood primed for that position. Next on my list, Kyrie Irving. I had to put him on there if I was speaking about games played. 
Kyrie Irving is when he's on, he's a top five talent, but he has struggled to get through seasons. He's played nine seasons of NBA and he's only cleared 68 games in three of them. The only redeeming factor of his is that he rarely, I suppose, misses two seasons in a row with injuries. And next season, the Nets will have KD back to somewhat full health and they'll be competing with the Bucks and the Celts to, to top the Eastern Conference. And everybody knows Kyrie doesn't like the regular season. He's been very vocal about that. He plays for playoffs. He plays to win championships. And he will be playing as though they're going for a championship next year. So that is the only thing that would maybe think about taking him. But I, I would only take him if he got to your 30, 35, 40 range. That's where I'll take him if he was going in the teens or early 20s. I just think the risk is too high. Finally, on my disappointing list is the big man from New York. It's Mitchell Robinson. He he was let off the leash the end of last year, and that really made me look at him. It made a lot of other people look at him, and it, the hype grew more and more. Every single game he played, double-digit rebounds, high shooting percentage, and he was getting three, four, five, six blocks a game. And that brought his ADP into the 60s. And in some leagues that I was in, people were taking him in the third round, which a little rich for my blood. But at the time, I didn't mind it because he had the potential to hit the top 30. But all he needed to do was beat Taj Gibson out for a starting spot. He'd be looking at 30 minutes a game and could be leading the league in blocks. But the Knicks are... I don't want to say that they're a joke, but they certainly need to get their act together. Uh, now, they'd fizz that out. Surely that would mean that someone would come in and put Robinson into the start. Absolutely not. Is he going to get the start next year? I will see. I would be surprised if he didn't, and I think that I'll be I'll be looking for him about that 60 spot again because he's, he's per 36 stats, just as strong as Gobert, and we know what a journeyman he is. We know his block potential, we know his rebound potential. He's a he absolutely helps with your field goal percentage. And if you're taking somebody like, say, Devontae Graham, then pairing him up with a Mitchell Robinson, it negates the the field goal and it brings it back to some sort of a, a normality, which obviously adds to another statistic for you. The only thing that he needs to work on, and again bringing it back to the youth I think that it's his fouls, and I think that once he gets that under control, his production will be solid. There's no doubt about that. So I would, if he's guaranteed the starting role, I will be looking at him around about the fifth, sixth round because that's where you don't have to spend a round one, two, or three on a go-bear or, I mean, Capella was there this year and Andre Drummond. You still get that production of a high-round big but in the mid-rounds, which is at sleeper territory. That's pretty much all I've got for you today, guys. As I mentioned earlier, I'll be opening up the mailbag in next week and the, the week after that. So if any questions, comments, send them through to fantasylandbasketball at gmail.com. Again, thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate and subscribe, and I'll have a chat to you next time. Thanks, guys.